This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. All right, everyone. Parshas Vayikra 5782. This shear is sponsored as a for the Rafu Shlema. It already happened. Avilana Miriam Baschana Devora. So Baruch Hashem, that is an awesome thing. Parsh Vayikra. So Parak Bey's Pasagalov. We're going to talk about the Mincha. The Nefesh Ki Sakriv Korban Mincha Hashem. When a person is Makriv, a Korban, of a flower offering to Hashem, Solas Yeh Korbano, it should be fine flour. The Yotzekel Hashem, you should pour oil on it. The Nasana Lelavona, you should put frankincense on it as well. So there's a bunch of things that we're going to talk about today. One of them is going to be what the purpose of this Korban is. Why do we have it? See, the Barbano wonders why the Mincha is mentioned before the Korban Shlomin. In the order of the Parshios, it goes, it starts off with the Ola, then we go to the Mincha, then we go to a Shlomin, then we go to the Chatos, and then finally in Asham. Each one its own separate parak. The way the Christians made it is they went each one by one different parak. But why is the Mincha before the Shlomim? The Shlomim is something that also has Nidavas and Neders, like an Ola does, and it's also an animal. So why would it be out of order, so to speak, with the Mincha put right over there? So he answers that a Mincha is a, another form of an Ola. The Kamitza which is the part of the animal that's put on the Mizbeach, so to speak, this part, the part of the flower that's put on the Mizbeach, that is the only thing that is makriv in front of Hashem, and it's entirely consumed by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Yes, the rest of the flower is eaten by the Kohanim, but the Kamitza is entirely consumed on the Mizbeach, and that's the holy part, so to speak, of the Mincha, which means, and the idea behind this is, is that it is an Ola. Granted, it's not a cow, a sheep, or a goat, or even a bird, but it's the same thing as a regular Ola. It's the exact same thing. The entire Kamitza, the entire Mincha that we're calling that Korban of the Mincha is considered given over to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So it really goes in this order of an Ola where we're going up from the idea of a cow to a sheep and a goat and then down to a bird and then afterward to a flower offering, which is that type of Ola. That's the idea why it's put in this order and that's why Shlomim is next because the Shlomim is actually eaten by regular people. The Zayin Torah though gives a different reason. He says we're going in order of Kadosh Kachim. Kachim Kachim is an Ola and a Mincha. But the Shlomim is Kachim Kalim. Anybody know the difference between the two? Kachim Kachim can only be eaten by the Kohanim in the Azara, right? While Ola obviously can't be eaten by anybody. That's even further up. While the Shlomim could be eaten by Yisraelim anywhere in Yerushalayim. And that differentiated between one of the two. The problem with that is that the Chatzas Va'ashim is afterward the Shlomim, but the Zion of the Torah doesn't explain that. Okay, that's the first part. That's the order, and that's why it's here. Zach, Davey's so proud of you. Rashi says the only time that the word nefesh is used by korbanos that one donates. Got to be careful with how I say that. But the only time that the word nefesh is used by these korbanos that are donated is by a mincha. Because only a poor person would donate just flour to the base of Mikdash. And it indicates how great of a gift this is. He's sacrificing his nefesh. He's giving up his soul to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ne- nefesh ki sakrif. He's willing to give up his entire soul for Hashem. The Nachos. Kuftal and Amadalaf mentions that. And it's a simple idea and an awesome idea. The Rabbeinu Bechayah says that as well. Although the word nefesh is used by the Chatzas and Hashem many times, this is the only time where it's not referring to a sinner, a guy who sinned, a guy who did something 
wrong. Nefesh Kisakov, he's willing to give up everything he has. And you can imagine, look, for a wealthy guy to be able to give up a couple hundred dollars to give a cow, not that big of a deal. For, an, you know, not a wealthy, wealthy guy, but a guy who has money to give up a sheep or a goat, which is a like hundred bucks, right, is also not that big of a deal. To give up a bird is not that big of a deal. But for a poor person who literally is only the bread that he's eating and he's got nothing else, can you imagine him taking his stuff and saying, I'm giving my bread, the food that I'm eating on my table, and I'm giving that to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, the solace, the fine flour that I have, and I'm giving that to a Kaddish Baruch Hu? That's the nefesh, giving up everything he has. That's the idea behind Rashi and the Rebbe Nebuchadnezzar and what they're saying over here. The Miyam Lewis adds that this is the only korban that has five different types of offerings within a mincha. There's so many different types. There's the machavas, a simple pan, a marchashas, a deeper pan, a mafe senor, it's baked in the oven, which even that is two different types with rikikim and matzos, etc. And there's the idea of each one of them, just the regular solas with the shemina lavona, etc. Says the Miyamoes, it's a mushal to a king who has a really good friend who he knows would never be able to afford to give him something special. He wants to give him something special, wants to give the king something special, but there's no way the friend can afford to give it. So the king tells him, look, I want you to bring me some special delicacies. I realize that it's still not going to be up to my palate. It's not going to be what my chefs can make in my kitchen. But I'm offering you to give all these different types of things and do it for me because I know you can't afford it, but you want to do it. So he gives him these offers, he makes sure it's there, and that's the idea about what the mincha is. The mincha is the way for a poor person to show appreciation to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for everything God has given to him, even though he knows he can't do much, at least he has this. That's how the Miyam always puts it. By Rabba, this is a very interesting, interesting story, Perry Gimel says, one time Agrippus Samelech, anybody know Agrippus? Agrippus is mentioned in the Gemara. He's one of the Hashmonaic kings. The post-Hashmonaic kings was likely one of the slaves from after Hadrian. But Agrippus HaMelech wanted to bring a thousand korbanos in one single day. He knew that Shlomo Melech had done that. Shlomo Melech brought a thousand korbanos in a day. He said, I also want to bring a thousand korbanos in a day. Yeah, no. There's a question, right. Where he may have been from the slaves of the Hashmonaic kingdom one after Hadrian. After Adrian. So either way, he wanted to bring a thousand kovarts in one day. He sent a message to the Kohen Gadol, and this is what he told him. He told the Kohen Gadol at the time, we don't know who he is. He was probably a Tzaduki of some sort. And he said, don't allow anyone else to donate korbanos today. No one else should bring any korbanos. I want to bring all the korbanos. Only bring stuff when you finish bringing my thousand korbanos. The Kohen Gadol knew it was happening, so obviously he got all the Kohanim ready for it. He brought in every single one, etc., everything like that. A poor man came in with two turtle doves, two small little birds. And he went to the quantum and he said, I want to bring this. The quantum said, we can't. We're so sorry. We can't. We're so busy with the thousand korbanos of the king. So the guy was really upset. He asked to see the Kohen Gadol. So the Kohen Gadol came up to him and he said, what can I do for you? He said, I don't understand. Why won't you bring my stuff? He said, this is the order of the king. So this is what the man said. He said, I'm a trapper. I do this for a living. I trap birds for a living. Okay? He said, every day... I'm able to trap four birds. I don't know why it's specifically four, but four birds. Two of them I eat for my lunch and dinner, and two of them I give to a Kaddish Baruch Hu as a korban. Every day I give half of what I make to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's what he said. If I get to bring them, great. And if I don't bring them, you're causing me to lose my parnasa for all time. He felt, this guy felt, that the only reason why he had made any money at all 
is because he brought two birds every single day. That's why I'm making any money, that, any money that I have. The Corbin said, I understand. The Kohen Gadol, I'm sorry, said, I understand. He said, let me do it without Agrippus knowing. He quietly, surreptitiously, right, took those two birds, grabbed them, and sacrificed them, brought it, and did everything he was supposed to do, and then finished the thousand Corbonus of Agrippus. At the end of the day, the thousand Corbonus of Agrippus were brought, but no other Corbonus could be brought. No other donations, nothing else that anybody wanted to bring, they couldn't be brought that day. That night, Agrippus had a dream. Says the Medrash, in his dream, he saw that the Kohen Gadol brought the Corbon of the poor man, that two birds, and the two birds went above his thousand Corbonus in Shemayim. He saw that happening. He woke up, called in the Kohen Gadol, and he said, what happened? Did you bring anything else along with my thousand Corbonus yesterday? And the Kohen Gadol said, yes, I did. And he told him the story of the poor man, right? So said Agrippus, Agrippus said, it's clear that that man's Corbonos, even though they were tiny, were better than my 1,000. And he accepted it. He said, 100%, you made the correct decision. He praised the poor man. And if, I don't think he gave him any money. You know, like one of those stories in which like the poor man then became like the chief advisor to the king. That didn't happen. Nothing like that. In the end, he accepted and he, knew, he understood everything there. So what did Agrippus do wrong? It's obviously a great thing to bring korbanos. And obviously a great thing to bring many korbanos. But your mitzvah cannot come at the expense of someone else. You can't allow yourself to be the guy doing everything and have somebody else go down because of it. He should never have told them not to bring anyone else's korban. He should have said, I want to bring a thousand korbanos. But don't let mine come before somebody else. If somebody else has to bring, allow them to bring as well. That's what he should have said. And the fact that he did that, right, obviously the Kohen Gadol did not do the wrong thing here. Everything was perfectly fine at the end of the day. Agrippus learned his lesson that it's not about the quantity of korbanos, it's about the ability to give and what you want to give to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, Yelis HaShakar asked a simple question. Guys, by Tzedakah, how much are you allowed to give to Tzedakah? What's the most amount that you're allowed to give? One third. One th- one, not one third. That's too much. That's for hit or mitzvah. Third, it's it's technically it's 20%. One-fifth of your earnings. One-fifth of your earnings. You can't give more than one-fifth to tzedakah. This guy was bringing two birds every single day and keeping two birds. He was giving 50%. Yeah. I thought it was one-tenth and one-fifth here. That's correct. One-fifth is the most you can bring. You can't bring more than a fifth, meaning 20%. You can't give more than that, even if you want to. Even if you say, I want to give, you're not allowed to give more than one-fifth. And there are ways, whatever it is. But isn't that strange? You can't be mevazbez yosem echomesh. You can't give more than a fifth. How could this guy give 50% of what he had to this, this idea of tzedakah? So the, I'm sorry? So korbanos, is that any different? So I'll tell you. It's a good question. I don't have a great answer for that. But the Avas Chesed, the Chafetz Chaim, asked this question in the Avas Chesed in Perik Beit Chaf Halacha Gimel. And he said the following. He said, you're not allowed to give up Nixay Beso. But if you work and you want to give away things before you take them, then you're allowed to do it. Meaning, and this is a hard line, right? If I'm not making my Parnassah, this guy was never thinking... I made four birds and I'm giving 50% of it away to Tzedakah. That's not the way he was thinking. What he was thinking is, I'm making two birds because Hashem gets two birds himself. Do you hear what he's thinking? He's not keeping four and giving away two. He kept two and allowed the other two to keep going to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the idea. And then it's mutter. If before you take in your Parnassah, before you get the paycheck, you say, 
I want whatever I work for, I want my earnings to go in one way, shape, or form to tzedakah before it hits me, before it's for me, then a person would be allowed to do that, says the Abbas Chassid. That's a really crazy thing. I don't know anybody who does that because that's a crazy amount of money that you're leaving on the table, but that's the concept, says Abbas Chassid, how he's able to do it. Ayelis Ashakar quotes this over here, and that's what he's allowed to do. He gives an example. Does anybody remember the Gemara in Hillel, Yuma, Lamed Hayam He used to make one trapik per day. He would give half to go to the base medrash in order to learn, and he would half for the parnasas beso, for the things he had in his house. How was Hillel allowed to do that? And the answer is, he only made half a trapik. The other half, he automatically said, would go to the base medrash. That automatically goes to the base medrash I'm going to, so it was never his to give away. Does everybody get that answer? It's really a great answer. It's like a crazy answer to think about. But either way, that's how the Elish Shachar puts it. Let's go even further. So all this is according to Rashi, the idea of a poor man giving this up. The Balatur and the Rukach and the Rabbini Yol say a little bit further. A poor person is giving up his soul by donating all of this. He works so hard for very little money. So whatever he's able to give took everything out of him. Took absolutely everything out of him. That's why it doesn't say Lifnei Hashem like it does by every other Corbin of a Ben Bucker, etc. Because a poor man is embarrassed of his offering. He tries to hide it because he knows it's nothing. This guy's bringing a cow. This guy's bringing a sheep. This guy's bringing even a bird. And he, what's he bringing? He's bringing a little bit of flour. He's bringing a little bit of flour. He's bringing, he's that guy that comes to the party and everybody else has like these nice, a bouquet of flowers and wine and something like that. And he's the one that comes in with like a little, like from the dollar store, like one of those like little tiny, like little fork thingies, right? And he just comes in and just gives that in. He's embarrassed. He's embarrassed. Everybody else is doing something different, and he brings something just like this. It's only given La'aron Ulebanov, so to speak. He's bringing it to Aaron and his sons as opposed to the base of Mikdash because he thinks no one else is going to see. Says the Balatun, the Rokech, the Rabbin Yol, you don't realize what this poor person is going through in order to bring this korban. He knows he's going to be embarrassed. He knows he's nothing in comparison to the other people what they're bringing. And he's still bringing it. He's still bringing it. It's a sacrifice not just of his stature, the fact that he doesn't have any money. It's a sacrifice of his kavod. It's a sacrifice of everything about him. He looks like a piece of garbage, and he knows it. He knows it. And the Kohanim, can you imagine being a Kohen? I don't know if anybody here is a Kohen. Is anybody here a Kohen? Yeah, Ben Parada also. Okay, we got three so far, right? Can you imagine? You're sitting there, and you're a Kohen. And you see a guy bringing a cow, and you're like, oh, another guy bringing a sheep. Oh, you know what you're getting from those things. You know what I'm saying? If it's a Chatos and an Asham, you're super happy. Super happy. You're like, thank God you sinned. Like, that's what the Kohen is thinking. He gets all that meat. And then some guy comes in, and he's like, I'm bringing some flour. And you're like, oh, thank you for the lafa. Like, I'm going to get a lafa to be able to put my meat in. It just, it's different. The coin's going to look at him askance. For that, because of that lack of kavod, the ani is given. He said, nefesh. The word nefesh is used. He's giving up his nefesh, and he's still great. He's still awesome. The idea is that Yalas Chakra says, by every other korban, you have to see yourself as if you're dying. The animal being brought up there, when the animal is thrown down to the ground and shechted, it's like you yourself are being shechted. When the animal is being burned on the Mizbeach, it's like you yourself are being burned in the Mizbeach. That person is watching himself being burned, watching himself have everything happen to him. He's seeing it with his own eyes. That's what's happening. By a mincha, you don't need that. You don't need it. You already sacrificed your life by bringing it. You already felt like you gave up everything by bringing that korban, by bringing the mincha. You don't need to see yourself being sacrificed like you do by every other korban. For that reason, says the Bechor Shor, menachos are, hold on a second, are kudshay kudshim. 
and not even a zor is allowed to eat it. It goes straight up on the Mizbech itself. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves those Menachos. And yes, there are Menachos that are eaten by Kohanim. But it's just for there to show the humility how HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves everything that anyone gives him, even the tiniest little gift behind it. And the Yalko Ruvain even says it. Every other korban is under the Malachim. A Mincha is under Hashem Himself. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care of it himself. The flower is under him himself. Now, yeah. Yes, the question is why this over anything else? Why the Corbin over anything else? That's where you get into the Machlokas, the Rambam, the Ramban, as well as the Kuzari and everybody else there, even the steer within the Rambams and the Ritvas and the Barbanels, etc. But the why this over anything else? But there's no question, it's to instill. Listen, what's the word? Korban, to be Mekarivas to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's no question, there's something behind that. But the question is how and why. Okay, the Oznaylator says the word Nefesh is used when a person has to work really hard to achieve something. Raising an animal does not take a lot of work. Yes, it's hard work. I'm not denying that. Anybody who owns a zoo will tell you it's a crazy amount of work. If you own a farm, it's going to be a lot of work. There's no question about that whatsoever. But it's not like working in the ground. Try growing plants in the ground with the plowing and then the sowing. And again, I know in 2022, with the machinery we have, it's a lot easier. Try plowing, planting, sowing, reaping, etc., 150 years ago. The amount of work that went into just taking care of a small field was a crazy amount of work. Stuff that you had to do every single day. You had to work every single day. And there were some times where you're working 20-hour days in order to get all your stuff, spread it all out, make sure that everything's happening. That's what happened over here. So the word nefesh is used because flour comes from wheat, which is something that was extremely hard to do, something that was really hard to get yourself into there. That's Eddie Bannon. That's why we say during the Yomim Norayim, you'll recognize these words, with his nefesh, he brings his bread. Because the truth is, it takes the nefesh to be able to do it. By the sweat of his brow, that's how Adam Rishon, because of the sin, will have to bring it. And that's why the word nefesh is used over here. Because nefesh means you used something, you tried really hard to get somewhere. That's it. The lesson behind that is very great, Rav Sternbuch says. He says, the more tsar you have when doing a mitzvah, the greater that mitzvah is. If you're being made fun of for doing a mitzvah, the guy makes fun of you and he says, I can't believe you're doing that, that's crazy. The more scar you get for that, because the more sour, the more you get into it. It doesn't mean you have to put yourself in pain, but the more you work on it, the result is very, very great. The result is so awesome in everything that you can do. Rabbi Victor Miller says that's the reason we don't neglect even the small mitzvot, those small little things that we have the opportunity to do. Anything that goes in, when done properly, the smallest mitzvah can become the greatest thing out there, the greatest thing that a person can work on. And that's a really, really important thing to be able to go through. The Kliyaka goes on, guys. The Kliyaka goes on. And he says, this poor man's gift is in fact made into matzah. Not bread, but matzah. The reason why is because it's poor man's bread. Again, the whole point of this is the poor man brings it. Now we're trying to tell you that this is something that's going to a poor man's bread. It becomes matzah. Anybody know, as a side note, does anybody know the two times that there was chametz in the base of Mikdash? There's only two. Mishkan or base of Mikdash. Two times where you have it. Not the lechem upon him. The lechem upon him that they had on the shulchan was entirely matzah. It looked weird. It had the shape of the, the box. But it was entirely matzah. But the only two times, anybody know it? The shtei ha of Shavuos, 
was chametz, and 10 of the 40 loaves of the korban toda. 10 of the 40 were chametz. And that's it. There was no other chametz. Everything else was matzah. Every single other thing was matzah. And it's for that reason, says the Kliakr. We realize that when we're doing really well and people are rich and people have a lot of money, our result is kicking back. We also know that where people that are greater than others, there's a bigger Yetzirah. The Ben Bucker is first. This Mincha represents the poor man, not just because he brings it, not just because the Mincha is made into matzah afterward, the poor man's bread afterward, because this represents the best thing that a person can do. It's not just a korban. It's not just an animal that's being brought and sacrificed. It's something that shows that a person's willing to give up whatever to get to the level that he needs to get to. Okay. Now, the Ibn Ezra has something over here. He goes into, if you're going to bring something, bring the best of the whatever you have. Like, Cain brought the worst of the stuff of the ground because he figured if I'm bringing something bad, I might as well bring the worst of the ground. Our idea is give the best of what you have. So not wheat, not barley. Solas, not kemach. It should be the best of what you have. Over here, Victor Miller says, it's gratitude for the bread that we have. And I, I know we don't appreciate this as much, but we really should. The fact that we have never had an issue of rocks in our bread. You ever had that issue before? Of having to sift out, eating a piece of bread and you feel a rock? Inside that we never had that issue. Just the fact in America that you don't have to sift flour for bugs. You realize that in Eretz everybody sifts flour to get rid of bugs because there are bugs inside the flour. It's just a normal thing. And here, we don't even have that issue. Says over Victor Miller, that's the reason why you brought a mincha. Because you sat there and you realized this is everything that a Kodesh Baruch gave me. What? First, just think for a second. Who in the world came up with bread in the first place? Who in the world saw a wheat stalk and was like, I wonder what it would be like if we crush this thing, turn it into a powder, mix it with water and a little bit of mold, and let it rise in an oven. I wonder what's going to happen. Who thought that way? Did you ever think that you could get something from there? I saw the greatest measures. You know what the measures was? B'nai Yisrael were so used to the mun, they didn't see it as miraculous anymore. They had this white coriander seed that was landing every day outside their areas. So they picked it up, and it tasted like anything, and they didn't even consider it a miracle anymore. They came to Eretz Canaan, and they said to the Canaanim, what do you guys eat? And the Canaanim said, again, it's been 40 years since they've been in a normal place. They hadn't had bread. They hadn't seen bread. And the Canaanim said, we have this bread. And they said, what do you do to make it? And they showed them. And B'nai Yisrael turned to the Canaanim and said, it's a miracle. That's a miracle. That doesn't make any sense. How in the world does this stalk of wheat turn into that piece of bread? That doesn't make any sense at all. How in the world does that happen? somebody thought of it. Somebody put it through and it's an amazing, amazing bracha. That's the idea that Victor Miller says. How could you not bring a korban to a Kaddish Baruch Hu about this? How could you not think to yourself, this is something that a Kaddish Baruch Hu gave to me for free, for nothing. This is my gift. That's what a mincha is all about. Thinking about what a Kaddish Baruch Hu has done for you. That's the idea behind it. The Shach mentions that as well. Now, the Panim Yafos asks why a person would be required to give fine flour with oil and levona. When that's actually, think about it, let's go through. The top level of a korban is what? What's the biggest animal that you can bring? Obviously. Cow, right? Was everybody confused about that? That shouldn't have been confusing, right? You have a cow. Next level down is? Sheep goat. Sheep goat. Calf still counts, counts as a cow. But then you have sheep goat. You go a level down if you have a poor person, so then you go to the next one. The next one is a bird. Turtle dove or a pigeon, right? Whatever. And the last one, right, the last one is flour. 
with oil and frankincense. Now, seemingly, that's prices. We're dealing with $600 for a cow. We're dealing with 150 bucks, not including inflation because of Russia's war in Ukraine. 150 bucks for a sheep or a goat. If you wanted to give a lamb, it's even cheaper. You're dealing with like 25 to 40 bucks. You can get 40 bucks, you can get a kid, a goat kid, not a regular child, right? A goat kid, and you can get that. You go a little bit further. For a little bird, right? I would assume it costs a couple bucks, two, three bucks. How much does it cost to get a cut up chicken? Now, how much are we talking? Eight bucks, nine bucks, 10 bucks at the most to be able to get a chicken? What? Where are you spending your money? Don't go to Jewel, right? And you'll be fine. Then you're going to be perfectly fine. But how much is it? We're talking like 10 bucks, right? All together. So if we're talking like a little pigeon, which is the half, the, half the size of a chicken, we're talking about a couple bucks, right? A couple bucks. Flour with oil and frankincense, says the Panamyafos, is actually more expensive than a bird. The bird is only a buck or two. But the flour and the frankincense and the oil can be $5. I'm just making up a number. But it could be $5 altogether. It's actually more expensive. Says the Panamyafos, I don't understand. It's supposed to be going down, 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 down. But in actuality, the flour is more than a bird. So says the Panamyafos, that flaw, I don't understand it. Why was it that way? Why did they make it that way? Okay, so think about that question for a second. I have 17 answers to this question. And if you think that's a lot, all you have to do is read the Chassam Sofer once, where the Chassam Sofer will go through answer after answer after answer. I'm only going to give a couple answers to this, but it's absolutely unbelievable, the idea behind this. Now, this concept, the concept to be able to answer it is the following, and it's amazing. It's really an amazing answer. A wealthy man eats meat constantly. He wants his meat to be blessed. What I mean by that is, is that obviously you could have bad meat. Especially back in the day when there was no refrigeration, you could have bad meat and it could really kill your stomach. You don't want to have bad meat. So you brought a korban of meat and chicken and birds and whatever it is so that your stomach wouldn't be bothered. Doesn't that make sense? That makes sense, right? You don't want to be bothered, so you bring that to be able to go through. So your whole idea of bringing chicken or meat is to do what? It's to make sure that your stomach isn't bothered. That's not going to happen. What does a poor man eat? Bread. That's it. He can't afford anything else. He can't afford meat or chicken. So therefore, what he eats is what he brings as his korban. He brings a mincha to be able to say to Hashem, please allow my bread to be somewhat better, that it shouldn't make me sick. I shouldn't have to worry about getting sick from mold or anything else that they had to, had to have back in the day. Says the Panam Yafos, this Gemara, there's a Gemara in Baba Basra, Samachum Beis, that seems to indicate this. There were Prussian, people that separated from everybody else, who after the Korban Beis Mikdash refused to eat meat and refused to drink wine. They refused. Rebbe Gamliel found them and said, well, what are you guys doing? Why are you not eating meat? Why are you not drinking wine? They said, we're not going to eat meat because meat was brought as a korban. We're not going to drink wine because wine was libated as a korban. So we're never going to eat meat or drink wine ever again. You know what Rebbe Gamliel told them? He said, then why are you drinking water? Water was libated on top of the Mizbech as well. Why would you have fruits? Fruits were brought as bikurim. So they were brought as first fruits. So you can't eat fruit either. What are you going to eat? They said they were silenced. They had no idea. She said to them, look, Chazal made certain things that we have. Does anybody have an, you have an ama by an ama in your house? Like that little space when you walk in? 
that's sort of like the Zecher Lechorban. We have the glass that we break under the chuppah as a Zecher Lechorban. We have something that we take away from our meals, the kasset or a son or whatever it is. We have other things that remind us of the Chorban. But you don't have to add something on on your own. You don't have to do the meat and the wine. Says the Panamyafos, that shows they wouldn't eat meat or drink wine because the meat and the wine that was brought in the base of Mikdash used to give it a bracha. And without that, there was no bracha. And Rabbi Gamliel said, you don't have to worry, you still have it. But the concept is still there, so it blesses our bread and it blesses our wine. That's the idea behind it. Now the Sfas Emes, you know what the Sfas Emes is, right? The second Gera Rebbe. He says that in the Likutim as well. And based on the Rabbeinu Bachaya, he says birds were more expensive. He says that idea from the Panam Yafos, but he says a different answer. He says, based on the Panam Yafos, birds were actually more expensive. I, it's, it deals with what you need. Does anybody know why you would have brought birds to the base of Mikdash? Who brings birds to the base of Mikdash? Think of somebody who had to bring a bird quite often to the base of Mikdash. You have to know your Chumash. Parshatazria. Does that help? Yeah, Zach, that helps, right? Parshatazria. Anybody? Ezra, you know this. Parshatazria. It's right in the beginning. A Yoledes. A woman who gives birth has to bring birds. They have to bring birds to the base of Mikdash. There were tons of people that were giving birth every single day in Eretz Yisrael. And they all had to bring birds in order to make themselves sore. 40 days after a boy, 80 days after a girl, they had to bring birds. Birds were expensive because they were needed. Every single day, somebody brought birds to the base of Mikdash. So they were, they were more expensive because, obviously, supply is down and demand is up. Yeah. You're 100% right. But there were certain times of the year when people came in to bring their chatos, asham, etc. A woman, in order to eat taros, in order to eat kachim again, in order to eat truma if she was married to a kohen, or just to be taller again, had to go to the base of Mikdash 40 days after a boy, 80 days after a girl, in order to make herself taller. She had to bring birds. This is something you have to bring. A chatos and asham, you could bring a little bit later. You could push it off. So the birds were, a dead, were something that everybody needed at all times. So the birds were actually worth more. Is that a good answer? That's a pretty good answer. So flour, obviously, was not as in demand. Birds were more in demand, so you had that problem. That's the Sfas Emes. Asnaim Latora said also, flour was found everywhere. You always had enough flour. It's birds that you couldn't find everywhere because you had to have people that were bird sellers. Bird sellers were not easy to find or to get or anything like that, and the supply was down. That's their reason why, because that's there. Then the Chassam Sofer says in Torah's Moshe, he says another answer. He defends his Rebbe always, the Hafla, the Panim Yafos. He defends Rav Horowitz always. But this time he argues with him. He says, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. You can't bring a korban with something else in mind. I can't bring a korban saying to myself, I'm bringing this korban so that my bread is blessed. Then you're not doing it L'shem Shamayim. You can't bring bread, you can't bring a korban that way. A korban has to be done because a Kaddish Baruch who told me to bring a korban. A korban can't be done because I feel like doing whatever I want to do. You can't do that. There's no way to do such a thing. So it can't work that way. Says the Torah's Moshe, how could they do it? The guy who's penitent, the guy who has to do tshuva, he shouldn't be thinking about his own stomach when bringing his offering, when he's going over there. He shouldn't have done that. So he says, it can't be that that's the pshat. He says, it's more than that. It's more than that. And it really goes with the answer that we gave up above. A guy who brings a mincha, this is how we're saying it, is so poor, so poor, that he has to bring a mincha, meaning the actual, the flower. Here's the deal. He has no money. He doesn't have money. 
Every bit of money that he has, he has to give to his wife so he can support the family. He's got no money to bring a bird, to be able to go to the base of Mikdash and buy a bird. He needs coins. He doesn't have that. He just has enough to be able to live. So what does he do? He wants to bring a korban, but he has no ability to give it because he has no coins to pay for a bird. So what does he do? He takes as much flour out of his house as he can, because that they have, even poor people have to eat, so they have to have bread. He brings as much flour as he can, and he brings it to the base of Mikdash. He literally is carrying his food to the base of Mikdash. The only thing he has, he doesn't have anything else. He carries his food to the base of Mikdash and says, I don't have anything. I don't own anything. But I want to give to Akarish Baruch Hu. So here, and he gives the flour over. In actuality, the flour and the oil and the levona is worth more than a bird. But he can't afford a bird because he has no coins on him. He just takes what he has in his house, the little bit of spice and the little bit of whatever that he has in his house, and he brings it to the base of Mikdash. Says the Chassam Sofer, that's why a poor person brings a mincha and not a bird. He can't, doesn't have any money for a bird but he has flour in his house. He has that. Rav Wolfson, in a Munisi Tachel, Rav Moshe Wolfson, says there's an in-between stage here. There's an in-between stage. He says an amazing idea behind it. He says, accomplishing avodas Hashem al-minas l'kabal pras. In order to get a reward? Obviously, that sounds like a bad thing, right? It sounds like I'm only doing it because a Kaddish Baruch is going to reward me. That's what it sounds like. But nonetheless, if you do it, it still counts like you're giving a nachas ruach to Hashem. I could have done anything to get a reward. I could have eaten something and filled my stomach. I'm giving it to Hashem. Granted, it's not the best way. The way that flaw said it is you're only giving the korban so that your stuff is blessed. Says the revulsion, of course, that's not the greatest thing in the world. It's not the highest level a person can get to. But it's still awesome, isn't it? You're willing to give your thing to HaKadosh Baruch Are you willing to give that only dollar that you have in your pocket to tzedakah? You have one dollar. Are you willing to give that up to tzedakah? How many times does the Mishol come by and he's like, uh, uh, I don't have anything. You do have something. You got five bucks in your wallet. You just don't want to give the five dollars that you have to the Mishol. That's the only thing you're thinking. This is a guy who's giving up what he has to Hashem says Wolfson, even if it's Alman Asakabapras, even if it's so that I get blessed later, that's still an awesome level. All right, yeah. Yeah, the better the mitzvah is, so to speak. Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, even now, if a mishulach who's going around collecting tzedakah also gives tzedakah to another mishulach, that shows the highest level of chaser. Where he needs the money himself, and yet he understands he still has to give meiser. Again, halachically, I don't know if every mishulach who's collecting money has to give meiser from their t- from what they got. But if he does, can you imagine what that does for a person? That really it changes everything about him. It changes who he is as a person. He's changing everything. I think that's an awesome level. Something awesome for that person to get to. Okay, we're going to get into our last part over here, guys. We're going to skip down on page three toward the bottom. It says the Ibn Ezra. He gives a different reason for the word nefesh. He says the word nefesh is always connected to the word nediva, nediva, which means to be generous. It means being generous. V'ruach nediva tismecheni. That's a pasuk in Tehillim in Parak Nunalf. This mincha he's giving is a gift and did not have to be brought. It's something that he wants to do on his own. Not like a chatos, not like an asham, not even like an ola, which is machaper for. What's an ola machaper for? Come on. It's mitzvah, sa. <laughs> Come on. It's mitzvah for a mitzvah, sa, and a lava nitikla, sa. 
You should have known that, Naftali, right? That should have been there. Ase and alava nitiglase. But it's not anything like that. A mincha is a pure donation. It's something I'm willing to give on my own. That's the idea behind it. It's a gift. The Rashbam also says that. A mincha is a gift. It's something I want to do on my own. So that's the reason why the word nefesh is here. Because nefesh is connected to an indiva, to a very nud, a person who's a nudav person, who's a generous person. Rav Aryeh Kaplan suggests that it's connected to the word nichoach. Reach nichoach. What does the word nichoach mean? Like a pleasant smell, something that's there, a nachas ruach, the way the Rashi says it. Ravigdor Miller says it's just like that, and I found that in Ravigdor Miller later, right? Or nacha, as in resting. I found the shach said that from the Rekanti. It means an inanimate offering. It's an offering that can't move. It's not an animal. It's an inanimate resting offering that's right there in front, something that's taken from outside the animal kingdom. Rav Hirsch and Rav, the, the, um, and the Ksavah Kabbalah both translate the word mincha from the word nacha, which means lowliness, which is going with our theme this entire tonight. Everything we've been saying up now, up until now, was this idea of poorness, of feeling so lowly. That's where it comes from. It refers to the way a slave would be treated in front of his master. That's why Yaakov gave a mincha to Esav. Why? Because Esav was supposed to be the leader. Yaakov was subservient to him. He gave him a mincha, not just a gift, not just a matana, but a mincha to show, I am your evid. I'm showing my subservience. A gift from a wealthy man to a, a poor man, on the other hand, is not a mincha. It's called a masas. Mem sin aleph saf, a different type of word. That's how they understand it. And that's why the tefillah that we say in the afternoon is called mincha. It's when the sun begins to drop to the west. When the sun starts to go down, that's when we call it mincha, something that shows its subservience. We are servants of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're willing to take time out of our day to dive into Hashem, to do what we need to do. That's the idea behind it. A poor man brings his way. He shows his subservience much better than a rich man bringing a bull or a sheep or a goat or anything like that. That's the idea behind it. Now, the Nitziv says a little bit differently, and this is amazing. He says that the whole point of a mincha is to show how you want to be machaper for your bad midos. Again, a chatos is when you're chayef kares, but you did a bishogeg. An asham is for four or five different sins that a person does, like a shvuas sheker, a shvuas shav, right, etc. Right? That's that. An ola for an ase, an alava nitik lase. A mincha is if a person has bad midos. If a person gets too angry, he's very into taivas. He gives in to his taivas time after time after time again. When a person has a lot of gaiva, ego, and he thinks he's better than anyone else around, that's when, says the Nitziv, you bring a mincha. David Amelach said something super interesting to Shaul Amelach. When he sees Shaul, one of the last times he sees him, last time he sees him, he says, Im Hashem bi. If Hashem has incited you against me, Yerach mincha then you should bring a mincha. And what he meant was the following. He wasn't trying to argue with Hashem. He's trying to say, if you have a bad midah, Shoal, and something's wrong, and something was wrong with Shoal, Shoal was acting crazy at the time. Shoal was chasing after his own son-in-law, David Amelech, even his own general, the general of his army, who's killed tens of thousands of Pelishtim. And he's chasing after him and trying to kill him for no reason, for absolutely no reason. If Hashem has has given you a midah against me, if there's something that you have, your anger, your kas, your gaiva, Sholem that you're coming against me, Yerach Mincha, 
bring a mincha in the base of Mikdash. The mincha will help. That's what the mincha is there for, says the Nitziv. Each one, there are four types of menachos, like we said before. The solas, the mafe senor, which was split up into different types. The machavas and the marcheshes. Each one represented one of the four main categories of bad midos, where there's Kina, taiva, kavod, but each one is separated into different ones. We'd call it like depression, atzvus, frivolity, leitzanus. There would be taiva, desire, and anger, kas. Like acting like a, like a fool. And just like acting like you don't care about anything. You're laughing, scoffing, etc. Stuff like that. And those four mitos, each one represents one. And that's awesome. So you ask, like, why a mincha? Why a mincha over anything else? Because again, it shows you're a subservient person. You're knocking yourself down. You're lowly. You're, you don't, you're not anything. And that will allow your taiva, your kina, your kavod, your gaiva, everything you have to be lowered. You no longer have those bad mitos ruling over you, right, the way they are before. There is, if you see, the Rashmi bells over here that's mentioned at the bottom of the page, right? And there's something like that. But I'm going to end with the Meashiloch. The Korban Ola was brought to show a person should be willing to give up his life for God, even if he receives no direct benefit from what he does. And Ola was sacrificed entirely to Hashem. You took an entire animal. You put it on the Mizbeach and you sacrificed it to Hashem. You gave up everything. I'm willing to give up a $600, $1,000 cow. I'm willing to give that all up for a Kaddish Baruch. I'm willing to buy the cow, give it up, and get nothing out of it. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's what a person represents. That's how the Ola represents, says the Ishpitzer. But there's more. If there's something else, the Mincha represents what B'nai Yisrael were able to do when they want to just taste a little bit of it. It's almost like there's Nasa and then there's Nishma. The way the Meshulach says it is, the first thing, the Korban Ola, is Nasa. I'm willing to do anything. You want me to give up your life for you? You want me to be no, Moser Nefesh? I'm willing to do it. You want me to bring this massive cow? You want me to give it up? I'm willing to do it. That's Nasa. I'm willing to do it. But there's a lower level. And that lower level is Nishma. Let me hear it. And if it makes sense to me, then I'm going to go ahead and do it. I, I need to hear it first. I need to hear what it is. Now, B'nai Yisrael were on that level where they were Naseh and Nishma, right? First we'll do it, then we'll hear it. We don't need to hear. But there's still a level of Nishma. And that level of Nishma means I'm willing to hear, listen, take in what a Kaddish Baruch was telling me, understand it, say to myself, I'm going to do something about it, but I want to get something from it. I want to take something from it. And that's what the Mincha is. Remember how I told you what a Mincha does? You take that little Kamitza, the three fingers worth, right? You shave off the top of your thumb, you shave off the bottom with your pinky, then you take that and you put it on top of the Mizbeach. You bring that on top of the Mizbeach and you put it right there and you end up burning it all. That becomes the korban, so to speak, that you bring there. What do you do with the rest of the flour in that bag that the person donated? What, what's done with that? That's given to the Kohanim. The little bit is brought on top of the Mizbeach. Everything else is brought to the Kohanim and they get to eat it. Sometimes, sometimes that bird, whatever. But that's the idea behind it. A mincha is where a person is willing to see everything, do everything, do whatever he needs to do, but he wants a little bit of a taste. He wants a little bit of a taste to take something from it. Not like an ola where you get nothing, but take something from it. That's how the Meshulah puts it. And if we know that, if we understand that, look, not always can we be a Nased Jew. Not always are we going to be able to do things just because it's the right thing to do. Not always are we going to do it you know, without anything else there where we sit there and we're like, well, I, I, I'll do it even though I'm getting nothing from it. Sometimes it's okay to be a Nishma Jew. Sometimes it's okay to be Makabal Pras, the way the Hafla said it, to daven 
through my korban that my food is going to be okay. Of course, eventually we should get to the level, and you will not, you'll get there, where you're going to sit there and you're going to be like, I don't need this anymore. I don't need any reward. I don't need to do anything else. I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. But build yourself up. The mincha helps you build up to that korban ola. That's the point of the mincha. To get you at least something, even when you think you can't make it, you get something, you get something there. That's the idea behind the korban mincha. All right, guys. Shkayach, everyone. We'll stop right there.